Welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and we invite you to enjoy this message from God's Word. We've laughed together, we've cried together, we've shared dreams, we've uh, lived life for a lot of years, and uh, this week attended a uh, funeral service for Tim's dad uh, that Tim delivered the message and great job. He was part of that with Philip Miles. Uh, Tim's dad was 95 years of age, had seen a lot of life and we celebrated that life this week. A few weeks before that I was with Jeff Dunn as Jeff uh, retired his credentials as a United Methodist minister and Tim and Roy and I were part of a service for his ordination as an independent operator with what is now Christ United, uh, expecting great things there as well. And they, uh, as a congregation, had their congregation respond and send them out as laborers into the harvest field here. An exciting, exciting time with those guys. In the last chapter of the book of Matthew, um, Jesus gives his last command to his followers. And his command is simple. Uh, It can be translated this way. As you go, make disciples. What is a disciple? Well, a disciple is a follower of Jesus. Uh, If you look at the kingdom and discipleship, what you see is We serve a sending God. The Father sends the Son. The Son and the the Father send the Spirit. The Father, Son, and Spirit send the disciples. And so we serve a sending God. As you look at at the book of Matthew, chapter 35, I'm sorry, chapter 9, verse 35 of Matthew 9, It says this, Jesus was going through all the cities and villages. Notice he wasn't only operating in the large places, he went to the small places too. He's in the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. There are three elements here, teaching, preaching or proclaiming, and healing. And then he moves on, says, seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Now, around our house, we do something far more regularly than my kids like. And it's, uh, we do a high-low at the end of the day around a meal. So what was your high today? What was your low today? So each kid goes around, and John and I share, and we have these highs and lows. So I was imagining as I was, came to this passage and read what came before the verses that we just read in chapter 9, what was a day like in the life of Jesus? What would his high and low look like at the end of the day? Now, there can be argument that chapter 9 covered more than a day. Perhaps it did. The language uh, 
it's as though it's moving from one event to the the other. It says, and then this happened, and then this, and then this. So for today, let's pretend this is a day in the life of Jesus. So he catches the early morning ferry, and he goes across the Sea of Galilee, and as soon as he arrives on the other side, someone's brought to him who can't walk. So immediately, after enjoying his morning boat ride, he faces a problem. And evidently, commentators claim that this man's particular sickness seems to be related to sin in his life because Jesus directly addresses him and he says, your sins are forgiven. There's a religious crowd around. They overhear him say that and they say, wait a minute, you don't know what this guy did. Now I'm paraphrasing. You, you, we know this guy. We know his sickness is a result of his sin. Who are you to forgive sin? And Jesus says, well... Um, which is easier, to forgive sin or to say, get up and walk? And so to demonstrate and make his point and to say, the kingdom is here, the king is here, he says, get up and walk, and the man's healed. So he goes from there, uh, and he comes across a guy named Matthew. Now, Matthew would be familiar with Jesus at this time. He'd be familiar with his activity. He'd be familiar with the signs and wonders and the healings, probably the healing that just took place. And he says to Matthew, who was seen by the same religious crowd as the lowest of low. He was a Jew who had uh, given himself over to the Romans to work as a tax collector. And tax collectors were not highly favored. And so he says to Matthew, follow me, follow me. And Matthew, being familiar with who Jesus is, gets up, goes with him. And he says, hey, look, why don't you come to my house for lunch today? And so he invites a bunch of his friends, and they have this party, and it's the kind of folks Matthew would hang out with. And the religious crowd gets angry yet again and says, wait a minute, what's going on? What is he doing eating with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus says, well, let me make this point to you. It's the sick that need the physician, not those who are well. And then on the heels of that, uh, John the Baptist sends a delegation to him. And they come to him. And there's this probably a genuine inquiry. They're saying, look, the, the Pharisees fast. We fast. Your disciples don't fast. What's up with that? In other words, we're sad The Pharisees are sad. You should be sad too. Why aren't you sad? Your guys are all happy. And he says, well, we're not sad because the king, the the bridegroom's with them. And you're not sad when there's a wedding. And we're we're having a good time. Sadness will come later. And and so they seem satisfied with that. And, And right on the heels of that, I mean, this is a day in the life of Jesus. Crosses the sea, encounters this. Counters another problem, another problem, another problem. And then guy comes to the door and he says, Hey, sorry to disturb you. I'm a synagogue leader in another town. My daughter just died. But I know, Jesus, if you come, she'll live again. And so Jesus says, Sorry, guys, got to leave. Got to go to this funeral. And so he leaves from there. And on his way there, a woman sneaks up behind him, touches his clothes, thinking, if I can just touch this guy, I'll be healed. She's had a hemorrhaging problem for 12 years. Spent all of her money on physicians. They were unable to help her. She's in a desperate state. 
She touches him. She's healed. Jesus doesn't just continue. He says, oh, we've got to have a face-to-face meeting. Turns around, engages the woman, and says, your faith has made you well. Now, 12 years, the little girl's dead. 12 years, this woman's been sick. Jesus continues on. He goes to the house, and he gets to the home. And when he gets there, uh, they have professional mourners. These are people that are hired to come and mourn when there's a funeral. And they're weeping and they're wailing and they're playing the flute. And Jesus comes in and he says, um, cut all that out. Stop. She's, she's not dead. She's, she's going to live. And they all, then they laugh at him. I mean, maybe you like to be laughed at. Most of us don't. So then they're laughing at Jesus. And so he kicks them out of the house. Jesus, gentle, meek and mild. Kicks them out of the house. And then he goes and raises her from the dead. As he's leaving that home, two blind guys come up. They follow him home, which I think is kind of funny. How how do blind guys follow? But um, I used to live beside a guy who had lost his sight in a gun accident. And uh, he would drive the tractor around, which made us all very nervous. But these guys follow Jesus back to the home where he's staying. And on the way there... Uh, obviously, they've got someone guiding them. They get to the home, and he, he says, guys, do you think I can do this? And they said, absolutely. And he heals them. They leave. He's still at the home, and a mute comes. The mute enters the house. He comes in, and again, this is my paraphrase. If I had been Jesus, I'd say, finally, some silence. It's not in the original language. (laughs) And so the guy comes in. Jesus casts a demon out of the guy. He's healed. And he leaves. Now, you come to the house. And you come in. And you're sitting around the table. And we're all there together. And we do high-low. Jesus, what was your high and low today? He says, well, let me tell you about my day. It started with a boat ride. It ended with a mute guy. And here we are at dinner. What a life. If you want to see signs and wonders, you want to see the kingdom of God, you've got to be willing to be laughed at, have religious people not understand you, have people question every every activity that you do and face problems on a daily basis. Your kingdom come, right? That's what it looks like. The kingdom is filled with a life filled with difficulty, struggle, trouble, problems. That's where the kingdom shows up best. Now, let me reread at the end of that chapter what Jesus says. Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited Like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples. The harvest is plentiful. But the workers are few. Therefore beseech the Lord of the harvest. To send out workers. Into his harvest. I did some research. uh, Recently on the word send. Actually I've been doing research. On the word send in the Bible. For quite a while. There are three main words. That are used in the New Testament. uh, Greek words that are used that are translated send, and all three mean this, send. 
and, and they're, they're really, they, there's evidence that they can be, uh, that they're synonyms, that they can, they're interchangeable. Um, there's some evidence of that within the language itself. But um, the point of being sent is anyone who was sent was sent by the authority of the sender. So that in a military language, the private had as much authority as the general if the general was the sender. Because they went not with their own authority, they went with the authority of the king. They went with the authority of King Jesus. And he says, let's pray God of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest field. The first fill-in for you is as you go, pray for more laborers. It's what my friend Jeff did. Now, as you're praying, um, there was a prayer time that I had recently with my friend Roy that I mentioned. Roy King and I were in France. I was, I was there as an observer. Roy was teaching uh, a group of French evangelists. And France, a beautiful country, been there many times. France is 98% unchurched. Now, it's a very religious country. There's a lot of cathedrals. There's a lot of religious activity. But in terms of actual church attendance and actual vitality of people who have a walking, living, loving relationship with Jesus Christ, it's 98% unchurched. And these are, this group of evangelists were there. Roy's teaching on strange ministers in the book of Corinthians, how God uses difficulty and struggle and uh, things like that in our lives as strange ministers to form us into the image of Christ. And so he's teaching, and one night during one of our, after, after we've dismissed, I'm sharing with one of the French evangelists about the training that we do cross-culturally. And he's listening, and this guy walks up and just kind of smiles. He's about my age, and he's, he's leaning over, and he's looking at the diagram that I'm drawing. And, and he's, um, he's saying, you mind if I sit in? I said, no, that'd be great. He said, by the way, I don't believe. I said, okay. He said, I'm an atheist. I said, great, you're our audience. And, and, and so he, I think, but I'm thinking, how did he get in here? <laughs> this is a conference for evangelists, French evangelists. And here's an atheist. Uh, so he comes, he sits. I share with him the good news of the gospel of the kingdom. He says, oh, I understand. I just don't believe. I said, I think you're closer than you think you are. So the next day, the reason he was there, his daughter works for a ministry called Ravi Zacharias, uh, and had gone to Oxford and is uh, a cross-cultural worker in France. And so um, the next day, Roy's teaching, and my prayer partner, uh, my roommate, left early. I, I don't know if there was any connection with him being my roommate and deciding to leave the conference early or not, but he left early. And so we're, one of the things that Roy would do would be pair people up for for exercises during his teaching. And so my prayer partner was gone. <laughs> so I tried to join with Pandora and, and another lady. And Pandora says, why don't you go over and join that guy? And she points out my new friend, Gilly, that I'd shared the gospel of the kingdom with the night before. I said, sure. So I go over and we're sitting across from each other. And Roy has us turn and face each other. And we're sitting there and Roy says, 
pray with each other through the material that we've just covered. And I thought, this is going to be interesting. My friend reaches over, grabs the back of my head, puts it toward his forehead to my forehead, and starts humming as though he's meditating. And I thought, I knew this would be interesting. <laughs> After a few moments, he, he completes his hum. And I sense from the Holy Spirit, it's your turn, pray in tongues. And I thought, that's not the Holy Spirit. But I did. I was obedient. And I prayed. I finished the prayer. He leans back, looks into my eyes, and he says, what language was that? So I lied and said Syriac. No, no, no I, 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 uh, <clears throat> he, he leans toward me. I look at him. I said, I don't know. It's a language God gives me to pray. And um, occasionally in my most intimate times with him, I use that language. He said, sounds like ancient Hebrew. That was the end of the, our conversation that day. Roy comes to me the next morning. He says, hey, um, there's this guy. His name's Gilly. He's an atheist. I said, really? <laughs> day three, you know. He says he wants us to pray over him. He wants you and, you and me to pray over him today at the end of the teaching. I said, really? He said, yeah. I said, okay. I find out in that in between time, his parents, Gilly's parents, were survivors of the Holocaust. He was Jewish. <clears throat> so the next day, Roy and Pandora and I lay hands on him. We pray over him. He starts to weep. God begins to touch him. Pray. He hasn't yet crossed over. But we're to pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send out laborers. So let's do that right now. Dad, Bring Gilly to yourself. Use Ricardo as he's working in Paris. Bless Rick and Susan in their work in Italy. And in the activity of their lives, of what you're doing there. For Linus and his work around the globe. And I ask that you send more laborers. Send more laborers into the harvest field. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, so we serve a sending God, and the sending God who sends us tells us, pray the Lord of the harvest, that he would send more laborers into the harvest field. The second point on your outline there is proclaim. Proca proclaim the kingdom and expect results. Proclaim the kingdom and expect results. Now get this. In chapter 10 verse 1 it says Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. He gave them authority. It wasn't their authority. They were being sent with his authority. Barney Fife says it better than I can. So uh, let's, let's watch as Barney Reminds us of what authority looks like. <coughs> you fellas, I warned you before, now I'm warning you for the last time. You take your truck and you get out of here. <laughs> 
This is a deputy sheriff talking. You get moving. Now. Do you see this badge? It says that I'm sworn to uphold the law. Now that's what I mean to do, and you fellows better respect it. You understand? It's just as simple as that. You're both a lot bigger than I am. But this badge represents a lot of people. They're a lot bigger than either one of you. Now, are you going to get moving? Our authority, our authority isn't based on us. We have a kingdom badge. We've been sent by Jesus. It's his authority in which we operate, not our own. And that's what he tells the disciples. He says, he summons them to come to him. He gives them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, heal every kind of disease, every kind of sickness. Don't miss the irony. A few verses before, he tells them, pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send out laborers. Who does he send? The ones who prayed. He sends the very guys that he said, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. They pray. He says, all right, you ready? It's time to go. Sends them out. Then it lists their names. Verse 5 of chapter 10 of Matthew says, these 12 Jesus sent out after instructing them, do not go by way of the Gentiles. Do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you received, freely give. Now, what we see in this, this instruction is there's a target audience. It's very clear that they're to go to. In this case, they're to go to Jews only. Now, later that changes. But for this assignment, there was a very specific target audience. There was a guy that I used to read a lot who passed away recently uh, named Peter Wagner. And Peter Wagner had a book on spiritual gifts. And he, called, he talked about something called gift projection. And gift projection is if I have a gift of teaching, my expectation is you do too. If I have a gift of evangelism, my, gift, my expectation is you have that too or should. If I have a gift of service, you should have it too. And he called it gift projection. We project onto others the gifting we operate in. And the, uh, the, there are those who have different target audiences in the same way. There are those who are passionate about various causes or various people groups or people within our city and various groups of people within our city. Understand and ask the Father, who's my assignment? Who's my target audience? What's the people I'm to reach? He'll show you if you'll ask him. Who's the target audience to which I'm to go? And I'll go with your authority. Um, Jim Egley is one of the vineyard pastors. He's up in uh, Champaign, Illinois at a church there. And Jim Egley wrote a little book called The I Factor years ago. And it was on how to share your faith. 
and uh, how do I share my faith? And, and within this uh, little book, he uses the acronym BEST. And he says, this is, this is what he believes to be the best way to share your faith. And it's, what were the events before you knew Jesus? What did life look like before you knew him? What events led to your coming to know him? That's the E. So before events, salvation day. When did you cross the line and say, I do, to God and offer yourself to him? And then today, what does it look like now? Um, the best before events, Salvation Day, and today. And I was with my son Ian in England um, about a year ago this time. I think it was September a year ago, or October a year ago. And I was able to hear Ian share that story with a group of folks in, in England in, uh, uh, of how he crossed over and the events that led to his crossing over to become a follower. And get to hear him proclaim the kingdom to an audience that was very much like him, that was running from God, that had recently crossed over. And we, we had one lady that was in that group that crossed over, committing her life to the Lord. Third fill-in on your outline is practice obeying his promptings. So we pray for laborers, we proclaim the kingdom, we expect results, we practice obeying his promises. In Luke chapter 10, in Luke chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, it says, Now after this, the Lord appointed 12, I'm sorry, 70 others, and sent them out in pairs ahead of him to every city and place where he himself was going to come. And he was saying to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. As I was reading through this this week, what really struck me was he told the twelve, pray the Lord of the harvest, to send out laborers. Then, he, then it moves from Jesus, one person, to twelve guys. And he tells them, pray this. Evidently they prayed. Because then there's seventy. So the laborers for the harvest moved from twelve to seventy. He tells the 70, pray the Lord of the harvest that he would send out laborers into his harvest field. The next time he tells a group to go and pray, there are 120 of them in an upper room. So it moved from 70 to 120. And then they spend some time in prayer. And there's a verse that says there were 500 people who saw his resurrection. Prayer, increase of laborers, increase of witnesses. And then 3,000 people in the beginning of Acts. And there is a movement that has reached us today. Because there was a group that was faithful, willing to be laughed at, willing to be made fun of by the religious crowd who didn't understand, willing to have problems brought to them that could only be solved by God. Pray, proclaim, practice obeying His promptings. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the age. As you go, pray. As you go, proclaim. As you go, practice obeying his promptings. Thor, Thor Kohlberg is uh, one of 
uh, our vineyard guys in um, Charlotte. <clears throat> and he mentioned in a sermon that he had really enjoyed a movie called uh, Machine Gun Preacher. Um, and a guy in the audience also enjoyed that movie. And he said, uh, hey, I want to go with you overseas. And Thor said, the places I go, I can't take anyone. And he says, no, I really want to go. He said, no, you don't understand. I go into South Sudan. I go into Uganda, places in Uganda. Uh, I can't take anyone. Uh, he said, I'm not going to, I'm willing to risk my life. I'm not really willing to risk yours. And this guy said, no, no, I really want to go. A guy named Jason lives in North Myrtle Beach. He's been part uh, attending renovation recently. Um, well, I researched Thor and Jason about their activities. And uh, Jason actually has a military background. And he said, yeah, he's a real quiet, soft-spoken guy. He says, Thor needs me. Um, my military background comes into play. And, um, you know, I kind of assess the situation. Uh, you know, so those are the, it's like a German shepherd that doesn't bark. That's the one to be afraid of. <clears throat> so here's this quiet, unassuming military guy that they're doing work in Uganda and South Africa. I, I mean, in uh, Sudan, South Sudan. And he tells me about this story when I'm interviewing him of uh, an event that happened in Uganda. This woman came forward during the prayer time, during the practice obeying his promptings, and she had been deaf for 26 years. The Lord laid hands on her, prayed over her. She looked up at him and said, I had just heard my name for the first time in 26 years. And she was healed. Then he went to another village, and he prayed over this young boy who was healed. And he said to this woman, he prayed for this woman, and she was healed. And so what he does in practicing obeying the promptings, he says, you're now the prayer team. You're now the ones that will be sent. And he had them pray over others. And there was a ripple effect of God's healing. We've seen God as healer in our family. John had placenta previa. Uh, I believe that was with Corey. Um, we have seven children. Had her placenta not moved, we would not have had seven children because she was the second. Uh, but God moved the placenta and she was able to deliver naturally. Um, we had a, one of our kids had a heart defect and God healed him. One of our kids was unable, had surgery on his ears, unable to hear we're in small group, laid hands on him, prayed over him, saw God touch and heal him. Yeah, we live between the already and not yet. Do we always see healing? No. First guy I prayed for was a guy with cancer and he died. Um, so if anybody wants prayer. Um, <clears throat> but I've also seen God show up and do some cool stuff. And it's not us, it's not our authority, it's not our power. Uh, that belongs to him. So what we're going to ask uh, is for the Holy Spirit to come and manifest his presence and bring healing. And uh, we're going to do it this way today. Uh, Jeremiah, if you, uh, Jeremy, if you would come. Jeremy and the team. Um, <clears throat> and if there's a Jeremiah out there, you can come too. <laughs> You just made the band. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Who here has experienced God's 
healing touch on your life personally, just lift your hand. Look around. Okay. How many of you have seen someone healed? Raise your hand. Okay. <laughs> you know what's coming. <laughs> You're the team. You're the prayer team today. And so as we stand to worship, um, those who've experienced God's touch in your life personally, you've got to listen to God this morning. <clears throat> it's kind of like those pickup trucks where they have two gas tanks. It's time to switch on the other gas tank. Quit listening to me and go to the second gas tank. Go. Tune your spirit to God's spirit and say, Holy Spirit, who do I need to pray for in this room today? And then I want you to simply just get up and go lay hands on someone else and pray over them during our worship time. <clears throat> so let's all stand together. And I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me. Let's pray this prayer together. I'll say it and then you repeat it. Holy Spirit, come. Send out laborers. Speak to us. In Jesus' name. Listen to his voice and obey. Thanks for listening to the Seacoast Vineyard Podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. And you can learn more about us by visiting seacoastvineyard.com. If you need prayer, you can call us or email care at seacoastvineyard.com. If you feel called to support us financially through a one-time or recurring gift, please click on the Give tab at our website or text any amount to 84321 and follow the prompts.